Welcome back to Sermon Notes. Michael here alongside Garland. Garland, good to see you. Yes, sir. Looking good in your hoodie today. Oh, yeah, feeling good. It's, uh, it's little, freezing cold outside. A little, little chill in the air. Hey, I want to say thanks to our producer, Josh, for getting everything up and running on Spotify again. So if you were uh, accessing Sermon Notes on Spotify and you moved to something else because that wasn't really working, we're back. Um, I'm sure we're probably in the top 5,000 podcasts on Spotify now. I know we're in the top 10 of Sermon Notes things called sermon notes. All right. So, yeah, I think we're up there. Probably uh, probably at least in the top two in the pro- Northwest Arkansas we're area. We're probably pretty high on that list, yeah. So here we are in Ephesians, and um, we're in this section of the book where Paul um, is giving us instructions on how to live the Christian life. Um, if you've been tracking through the book with us, you know that the first three chapters, Paul paints a big picture of who God is, the truth of the gospel, and why that should lead us to unity in the church. And then in chapter Chapter four, he begins to tell us how this then flows into our life. And um, Garland, uh, we're in chapter five, which in the ESV begins with the word therefore. So we always circle those. We always notice those important connecting words. Where's Paul going to take us next um, in these instructions we're, we're reading together? Yeah, so um, kind of the big picture of this passage is um, as he continues these instructions of how we should walk, we're actually going to get three units of what it looks like to walk. And we're going to cover these in detail. I'm actually going to put a chart up on the screen. Um, So this Sunday is going to be a little different uh, style for me, at least, in that... uh, we're just going to go verse by verse. I don't normally do that, just straight verse by verse, almost kind of a commentary style, but uh, I thought it made the, the, the best uh, sense of this passage to do that as our style this week. And you'll notice here in chapter 5, uh, verse 2 is where the verb is picked up, and uh, the NIV is, is going with the word here. So we've noted that the last few weeks, the NIV in this section obscures some of the repetition, which is, um, I get why they're doing it. They're trying to get the sense of what it means, but in doing that, they kind of do obscure obscure the language. So look at verse uh, five, verse two. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as uh, as dearly loved children and walk, peripateo. This word has been anchoring this section of the scripture. We pointed this out last week, so you can go back and listen to that. Uh, We're going to have three units in this section. Um, The first way, walk in the way of love. So walk in love. Um, As you can see, and you noted it, I would double underline that therefore, because he's transitioning. Um, And so they're going to see the very same thing in verse seven. The NIV actually is making a paragraph break decision here that I think is uh, is off by one verse. So I think seven begins the next unit. The therefore is beginning the next unit. And you'll see uh, again in that section, we're going to have this same uh, word, peripateo, except here it's going to be translated as live as children of the light. So you can see at least in the NIV, which is what our study was printed in, um, we've obscured that a little bit. Um, so one to six, walk in love. Seven through 14 will be walk in light. And then if you look down at verse 15, you'll see uh, the, the same same issue going on here. Uh, be very careful then. It's our same Greek word, therefore. So be careful, therefore. Be careful then. It's the word blepo, which is see. So see carefully how you walk, peripateo. So there's our three uses. And uh, most Bible scholars that kind of look at the macro scrupt, uh, structure of Ephesians, uh, they use those as our, our our main subsections, we may say. So in our section, we have a long teaching this week. You're going to be doing a lot in your small group this week. It's 5, 1 through 21. And just to get your arms around it, 5, 1 to 6, walk in love. 5, 7 to 14, walk in light. And then 5, 
uh, 15 through 21, which will begin actually a household code, which so I'm absorbing that under uh, this section called live as or, or walk as wa- in wisdom, walk in, lo- walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. And uh, that will be how this big section, chapter 5, 15 through 6, 9, which we're going to break down into three different teachings. All of that is absorbed in walking in wisdom. And so what's he going to do there? He's going to talk about practical street level things like your house. And we're going to get a household code there starting in chapter 522. So there's the the meta structure of this week. And normally we kind of, I try to go up a level and and put these in categories and try to make them pithy and memorable and uh, interesting. We're just going straight down the line this week, verse by verse. And I'm kind of a little, I'm kind of a little excited about it. Kind uh, of a little excited. Yeah, kind yeah, of a little it's, excited it's, about it's it. It's old school. It's a little bit old school. We might just... Uh, Fire back up our cassette ministry and send out this sermon on the some tape cassette ministry tapes. of yeah. fellowship. <laughs> hey, one thing I would say to you, small group leaders, I've had a little bit of success with this in some small groups um, and Bible studies that I've led. Um, you will have to tease out the word walk um, that, that kind of disappears in the NIV a little bit, but um, a good place to just get your group thinking about that is to actually ask them what happens when you physically walk, like forget forget the metaphorical walk, just walking itself, that peripeteo. Um, well, you have to get up. Um, it requires some effort. It doesn't just happen on its own. You have a direction. You're going somewhere. Um, it's going to change um, your circumstance and the scenery. And so if you maybe just get your group talking about that, that can be a good transition into these three sections and what this spiritual walk looks like. Yeah, so it's not surprising that five uh, one uh, to two be imitators of God. That's the the literal translation. Be imitators of God. Well, he's already worked that theme. If you look back up in uh, Mickey's section last week, chapter four twenty four, uh, he says, "Put on the new self." Well, what's the new self? What's well, the one that's created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness? So right living, living by God's rightness and then holiness being set apart. So it's not surprising that Paul continues these themes and um, it's, it's, it'll be instructive for you. This might even be good for you to do on the page of your own printed Bible. This section, all this section, section 4, 1 to 6, 9, but our section here, 5, 1 to 21 is loaded with commands loaded with them. And when you see commands in the text, uh, figure out your way of noting them. Uh, the computer program I use, I highlight them in blue so that I can see them. When I have my printed Bible, I do double underlines with an exclamation point next to it because I want it to jump off the page. And you're going to see imperatives in expository or hortatory discourse like this. So letters, imperatives become very significant. And when you've got a load of imperatives set next to each other, then you get the flavor of what's going on in this section. And so help your people to figure out if you're discipling somebody, uh, if you're just doing this in your own personal study, especially if you're a community group leader, help them come up with a system. How do I make the text come alive for me? And we're trying to help you there. So we got transition words, therefore, 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 in chapter five, one, seven, uh, and then also in 15, and then lots and lots of commands, the repeated command to walk, in this case being translated as live, um, that's going to anchor you. And now you can get your arms around it. And that's how Bible scholars, that's how we go about preparing sermons is what is Paul saying? What's he doing? Because that's what we're after here is getting back to Paul and what he's trying to communicate to his audience. Um, 
because we're going to go verse by verse um, in the passage, I'm not actually going to go into a lot of the a lot of times in this podcast the stuff that we can't say or we ran out of time to say. And um, there's a handful of things that we could spend a little bit more time on. But what I'd like to do more than that is to step back, uh, step up a level, and ask this question: um, What right? And and different people may want to ask this different ways, but it's a question we've got to wrestle with. What right does the Bible have? to tell me what to do. It's a question, especially in our modern culture, the postmodern world where uh, these, these kinds of statements about how you should live and what you should do with your sex life and your wallet and how you should speak and how you treat your family and how you, husbands and wives interact. We see language like this. And for many, especially the younger generation, it's off-putting at best. And at worst, we see it as downright like power plays. These are institutions making power plays on their people. And we're going to have to, you may have to wrestle with this in your personal soul or just as you're leading people in a small group is what right does the scripture have to, to command me on how I'm going to live? And if you haven't processed that in a while, I know I get that question a lot. Usually it's when the Bible is commanding something I don't agree with. Um, and we're going to have to wrestle with the simple reality that this section of Paul's letter, we believe, is the is part of the inspired text of God and is loaded with commands. And when God speaks, the expectation is that I would yield and he's my king. And man, that doesn't land on us well as postmodern Americans who have been convinced and told that our freedom and our individual autonomy is our most absolute right, and we should be especially suspicious of institutions telling us otherwise. So if you got especially younger people in your small group, or maybe you just wrestle with some of this stuff, um, you may have to address that as we go through this section, because it can be troubling uh, for many people in our world. You know, I... Totally agree with that. I, I think maybe the generational divide might not be um, that um, the older generations, which I, I told Garland earlier, I'm on the young side of the old generation, I think. Uh, I don't know where that makes me then. Yeah. Uh, you're in no man's land. You're in child rearing years. You're just going to look up one day and yeah, ask I don't what know happened. where I'm at right now. I couldn't tell you what day it is. Yeah. I, I can relate. Um, but yeah, I think Maybe it's not that the older generations don't struggle with this, but it's just that we have a different idea of what freedom is and who can tell us what to do. Um, I think it's part of our human nature that we want to be in charge. We want to call the shots. You know, um, our founding pastor, Robert Cup, who discipled both of us in various ways over the years, he used to always say one of the main themes of the Bible is who has the right to rule. And so um, the younger generation and the older generation may have a different set of presuppositions they bring to the passage and to the Bible in general. And yet we all struggle with being told to do something we don't want to do or that we know is going to be difficult or costly. And yet the Bible again and again is going to make those kind of demands on us. And so it's up to us as Christ followers to walk in the spirit, to listen to the Lord and to let his voice be the loudest, um, especially as it comes to us off the pages of scripture. It's his most direct way to communicate with us. I think that's really well said. And just just as a point of uh, notice the comprehension or comprehensiveness of this, we might say, the comprehensive nature of this. Um, I think it's easy for uh, especially kind of Southern uh, conservative churches to uh, pick certain behaviors 
or certain practices and elevate those as especially bad or to rail against them. Just notice, I'm just going to, I'm going to point this out on Sunday, but let me point it out to you, the sermon notes listener as well. When you look at verses three and four and five, Paul's going to give uh, some, some, we might say some negative behaviors that should not be named or characterized by those in the church. I just want you to notice the comprehensive nature of this because he comes out swinging. And we'll say this on Sunday, but you need to ponder this and think through how you're going to address this with your small group or those you're discipling. He talks about sex, your wallet, and your mouth. And could there not be a better place to zero in? And the point I'll make on Sunday is uh, many churches in especially Western culture, American culture, find uh, what the Bible says about sex, sexuality, to be obsolete and to be um, archaic and something we should set aside. What the Bible says, however, about greed and materialism and oppression and justice uh, should be heeded and is something important. And yet other churches will come along and go, well, 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 they, they may spend a lot of time um, kind of railing against um, and denouncing sexual practices that the Bible uh, would say are wrong, but then they never take into account what the Bible says about materialism and greed and oppression. And when we are having this conversation in our small groups, this is a really good place to let us step back and let the comprehensive nature of this hit us as well. I'll be honest, I have I didn't want to teach this. And one of the reasons is uh, every time we read this, we, we as a staff come in on Monday and we look four weeks out about the teachings that we're going to go over. We read the passage out loud together and we always read two verses and we go to the person on our right. We do this every Monday, right, Michael? Oh yeah. And, uh, Every time we would read this passage, I would get the, it would somehow fall to me. I don't know how this, these words, um, there should not be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather Thanksgiving. And I've just been really struggling with that. Um, and even doing a deep dive on what those words mean in Greek and all that, um, whatever they mean. I'm pretty sure I'm guilty of it. Mm. Uh, and so it's, we need to allow Paul and allow the writers of scripture, they're creating a new humanity here. They're talking about a new way to be human, that stock quote that you used a few weeks ago. And that's going to touch every part of us, not just the ones that are easy for us to spot and go, that shouldn't be in the church. So when you have this small group this week, or as you're wrestling through it, I've been thinking about, he places greed here in this list. And I've been thinking about how is greed, he calls it idolatry. How has that woven its sneaky little tentacles into my heart and materialism and getting my security in what's in my 401k or how we've invested. And it's so subtle because we're a capitalist country. It's so subtle to see those materialism issues creep up in our heart. And I've been letting the Lord work on me in that. And so it's easier for us to, I think, especially Southern conservative churches to lock into the parts on pornea, you know, sexual practices. But the Bible's not going to let us off the hook that easily. It, it's going to get into all of our faces, and good. That's right. I told you I don't want to do this. I yeah. don't really want to teach this passage this week because it's been wearing me out these last few weeks. Well, if it makes you feel any better, next week I got to teach on marriage, which means I'm really going to have to watch my uh, behavior. <laughs> be, be a good husband oh, this week. Oh <laughs> man, I might have to wash a dish or something. You know, um, oh Michael, you wash the dishes. I do. I do. Um, you know, uh, girl, and I really appreciate what you're sharing on that. And I think it's a good word of warning, especially I have this picture in my head of who our sermon notes listener is. And it's somebody who takes their walk with Christ seriously and takes their Bible study seriously. If you're carving time out 
in addition to listening to the sermon and being part of what we're doing here, you're probably in a small group. A lot of you lead small groups. But to all of us, and I say this to myself as well, if the Bible never rebukes me, if I never read my Bible and say, oh man, I'm, I'm doing this thing that it says not to do, or conversely, I am not doing this thing the Bible calls me to, if I never have that moment, I'm not really reading very deeply or I'm not letting the Holy Spirit into the process. And so, man, I would say, Garland, I commend you for that and for sharing that with us. And I've also been convicted um, by verse four. Um, and I also wanted to just look down at verse six. He says, let no one deceive you. Um, the ESV says with empty words. And um, I was reminded of Paul David Tripp's great quote, of people are deceived by deception. All of us are deceived at some time. All of us think something is true that's not. All of us think something's true about ourselves that's not. Um, And so that's why we need each other. We need um, those of us who are married. We need our spouse. We need our friends, our Christian friends. We need our community of faith around us because we all um, have blind spots, and we all have areas that we need to grow in. And God's word, God's spirit, and God's people can bring those out. Yeah, and I'll say this on Sunday, but one of the ways that I think that I'm seeing that deception, especially in the last about decade in the church, is a line that goes something like this. And and I'm sure we probably all said it, but it's this line uh, uh, gone haywire. Here's the line, I've, and I think it's a deception. Um, it doesn't matter what you do. It only matters how you be. Or it goes something like this. Being is more important than doing, as if they're mutually exclusive. And I don't think the New Testament would say any such thing. Um, I also think it's practically how we work. Our doing oftentimes forms our being. And so Paul doesn't divorce those two things as if uh, one is somehow legalistic and material or legalistic and somehow, you know, uh, white knuckling it They're They bust, they must go together. So we're not suggesting a form of legalism, but in this particular case, verse six, the people deceiving most likely are coming in and saying, Oh no, no, no. These things aren't, those don't matter that much. You can continue to live as you wanted to live. And Paul says, don't be deceived by them. We have a standard and it's the standard of God's holiness that we're trying to aspire to. In light of your calling, your conduct must change. Your doing must be the doing of a Jesus follower. And we can't lose that. And I think it's been something where maybe it's uh, it's crept into, especially the younger generation's mantras of how we do church is, uh, God just wants you to be you and do you and come alongside you and he likes you and he's for you and he loves you. And all that stuff about behavior and following him and making him king and bending the knee, that's kind of antiquated bad stuff from the older generation. And if you're listening to this and you're in my generation and down, uh, our culture says, be yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. And we got to come face to face with that at some point. Now he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And by the way, you'll find your life. Try to save it, you'll lose it. Only Jesus can make those two statements go together and work. So uh, we just, do we trust him in that? Um, so we got a lot we're going to work through on Sunday. We're going to spend about 20 minutes going verse by verse. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot here, but we're trying to help you as the Sermon Notes listener and small group leaders uh, help have a good discussion for the Sunday night. This might be some of the things that come up. Yeah. And so last thing I would say, small group leaders out there listening, um, read through the passage several times, prayerfully ask the Lord about your group. And then where is your group? 
struggling. When you think about, you know, in my mind, I can look around the room in my, at my community group and I can think which of these are probably hitting most of us. And so maybe jot those down, highlight those in your, in your study guide, however you want to handle it. But um, there's too much here to hit every single verse and every single point in your community group discussion. But ask the Lord to lead you where to lean in um, so it'll have maximum impact for the people that um, make it out to your community group meeting as you discuss this. So thanks for listening. Thanks for your leadership. Um, we're praying for all of you. Uh, we're praying for those who will hear the sermon on Sunday, um, that the Holy Spirit will just stick this in all of our hearts and help us look more like Jesus so that more people will come to know him and be wise as they walk and they follow him. So until next time, um, enjoy the text, enjoy each other, and we'll see you then on Sermon Notes.